Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Donald Mazzella, and I'm Editorial Director of Small Business Digest. Each hour here at Small Business Radio, we hope to bring you information, strategies, and suggestions to help uh, small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Today's guests include Mike Devulio, Senior Tax Analyst for Intuit, who offers suggestions as the most overlooked or least known deductions for small businesses. Uh, when filing your taxes, you want to make sure you're aware of changes and how to use them to your advantage, particularly if you are a sole practitioner or own a micro-business. Keith Hall, National Tax Advisor for the National Association for the Self-Employed, offers tax tips and resources designed to help the small business community do just that. He'll be on a little bit later. Vincent Smith is a pharmacist by training who started Good Deed Teas and developed a strategy to immediately raise the visibility of of his company. He'll talk about that and what other strategies worked for him and is available for other small business leaders. We want to remind you Uh, Besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web at the number two, sbdigest.com, our our magazine, which can be downloaded from the site, or by our RSS feed. Our first guest today is Mark DeVulio. I hope I'm pronouncing the name right, Mike. I think, uh, uh, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Don. You're you're pretty close. It's Mike Devolio, but don't worry. A lot of people mess it up. It's it's kind of complicated. <laughs> well, a lot of people say mozzarella with my name, so and I apologize. Um, first off, uh, uh, before we start, Mike, can you tell us? Uh, you have a great background. Can you tell us a little bit about it and how you came to be at Intuit? Sure. Again, Mike Devolio, senior tax analyst with Intuit. I've been with uh, Intuit and one of our predecessors, LaCert, since 1987, and I've been a small business tax expert for more than 20 years. I'm a CPA, and I also hold a JD degree from Boston University. Well, I knew it was impressive, but not that, not as impressive as it sounds. First, um, um, just some overall, you gave us um, an article that appeared this month in Small Business Digest on uh, uh, little-known tax advantages. Would you kind of summarize? (coughs) I have to apologize. I have a very bad cold. Uh, I went on vacation last week, but it didn't help. Tell us a little bit about what you you suggest in little-known tax advantages. Okay, as an introduction, as you know, we're in crunch time as we quickly approach the April 15th deadline for filing most tax returns. Today, I'm going to try and help out by covering some of the most overlooked or least known deductions for small businesses. And by the way, some of these provisions were extended by the government back in January as part of the legislation associated with the fiscal cliff, and I'm sure we're all familiar with that. Uh, Today, I'm going to cover um, the most overlooked deductions 
uh, the first of which is enhanced depreciation deductions. That would include uh, bonus depreciation and 179 expense. Uh, next, the deduction for startup expenses. Uh, credit for small employers providing health insurance coverage. Credit for research and development expenses. Work opportunity credit. And lastly, deductions for business portion of property that's also used for personal purposes. Um, uh, can we go a little bit more into detail on those, uh, Mike? Uh, uh, small businesses hear that, but um, can you give us a little bit more uh, deeper in depth? And one of the reasons I asked you on the program is because I, uh, your article was so good and it raised so many questions, I wanted to uh, go a little deeper. Absolutely. Um, just on the basics, in general, you're allowed to deduct the costs of running your business as long as the expenses are tax code uses ordinary and necessary. Some examples would include salaries paid to employees, rent expense for office space, and interest paid on company loans. Deductions in credits reduce your taxable income and tax liability, or also increasing your refund if you have one coming. Uh, just up front, be sure to document these expenses and retain any receipts in case the IRS asks you to substantiate them down the road. And lastly, a word of caution. If the tax issues impacting your business are too complex to handle on your own, please seek out expert tax advice. So before we laid out um, some of these overlooked deductions, the first of which enhanced depreciation deductions. In general, assets are depreciated or deducted over the course of their useful life if, if it extends beyond a year. Uh, let's say ABC Company purchases a printing press for 100000 and it has a useful life of five years. Assuming straight-line depreciation, the company can expense 20000 per year. Uh, and then we uh, lead into the um, enhanced deductions, both the uh, bonus depreciation and the 179. Uh, these are two perks that the government gives you up, up front in order to um, help the business out. So the way bonus depreciation works is you're allowed to claim a 50% bonus depreciation deduction for the purchase of new assets. This represents the, the percentage of the purchase price of the new capital asset that a business owner can write off in the first year. And it's going to cover personal property such as furniture and equipment, and real estate does not qualify. So if you look at the, the previous example, ABC would be able to claim uh, half of the cost of 100000 of the printing press or 50000 bonus depreciation in the first year. And then the government allows you to... Uh, depreciate the remaining basis, or 50000 over five years, or 10000 per year. Don, do you have any questions on that first component, the bonus depreciation? It's very clear to me. Um, I'm sure it's cl uh, getting clear to our uh, listeners. Please continue. Uh, uh, it brings me back to my uh, days in accounting class, but you're much, much better at explaining it than the professor I had. Thanks, Don. Okay, so the, the second component was 179, another generous perk by the government. If the, per, if the purchase of used property does not qualify for bonus depreciation, it does qualify for this 179 expense deduction, and this carries a huge uh, limitation, 500000 So very generous from the government, and it's an alternative measure allowing a write-off in the first year. And also certain types of real estate uh, qualify as well, and those carry a $250,000 limit. So in the example with the printing press, ABC would be able to expense the entire 
$100,000 costs in the first year under this 179 provision. Well, um, question uh, before we go any further. Do you see any changes in any in, in the, the first two that we've mentioned coming up in the, this year? That, that's a good question, Don. Uh, no changes for um, last uh, tax season, 2012, which people are filing right now under the deadline, and no changes in 2013. Now, beyond that, um, it's difficult to uh, predict because the government has these provisions in place for a limited term. I don't have the specifics in front of me, so we'll just just have to see how it plays out if the government's going to extend the uh, the generous provisions and what those limitations might be. Well, can we go on to some of the other things that you've mentioned? Yes, we have. Uh, the next on the list is uh, startup expenses. The government encourages people to open up a new business by allowing a $5,000 write-off for startup expenses. The $5,000 deduction is reduced by the amount that your total startup expenses exceed $50,000. And then any startup expenses that are not allowed to be expensed in year one can be amortized over a 15-year period. Uh, startup, startup costs include amounts paid either to create a trader business or to investigate the creation or acquisition of a trader business. And some examples include advertising the opening of a business, employee training, and also conducting a market survey. Well, um, uh, Mike, uh, in, in, in that area, a lot of uh, small businesses start, to start their business with credit cards. And uh, uh, well, I don't know what the, n the number is, but uh, I don't I don't know of any business that doesn't do that. Um, when you use a credit card uh, for some of these expenses, what do you have to uh, do to, to keep the, uh, those records? Uh, do you need the actual receipt, or will the credit card do? Uh, I know that sounds like a, a, a basic question. But uh, something came up a couple of weeks ago that uh, brought this to mind. Yeah, I think um, either one will probably do, but the more detail that you have uh, to substantiate down the road will probably help you out if there's some type of uh, internal revenue service scrutiny. So in addition to the credit card receipts, I would keep the uh, the invoices as well just to prove out uh, what these the nature of these expenses. Well, it's, uh <laughs> Sometimes, they, uh, as in this case uh, uh, with this individual, but uh, uh, the receipts weren't there uh, for a variety of reasons. But let me ask you, uh, if you take a trip to uh, look at, for instance, a franchise, um, uh, can you expense the entire trip or do you have to use the travel expense rules? Uh, you would use the um, the travel expense rules and if there's any personal portion, you would actually you would have to strip that out. But then there, you're right. There are some rules uh, surrounding uh, travel expenses and and what can be written off. For instance, um, lavish meals are, are not allowed. Um, so you, there are some rules uh, particular to that. But in general, if you're investigating uh, opening up uh, opening up a business and you have exp travel expenses in conjunction, they they would be deductible. Uh, you, you, could you use that $5,000 to uh, uh, kind of cover the blanket cost? Yes, you would. that, that would be uh, the amount that you can write off in the first year, and then the rest would be uh, amortized hmm. over the 15-year period. 
Uh, um, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, can you continue on with this, uh, what I find fascinating list? Yes. Uh, next on the list is the credit for small employer health insurance premiums, and this was part of the uh, the Health Care um, Act. According to the government, businesses, businesses unfortunately have been slow to adopt this credit offered by the Affordable Care Act. Uh, to qualify, it really has to be a small business. The business must employ fewer than 25 full-time workers that earn less than an average of $50,000 per year, and the employer must pay at least one-half of the cost of the health insurance premiums for the employee, and for tax years 2010 through 2013, the maximum credit that can be claimed is equal to 35% of the premiums that they pay for the employees. Beginning in 2014, that goes up to 50% as a percentage of the premiums paid. So we take a, a quick, uh, simple example here. If a small business owner pays 5000 towards the employee's health insurance plan, and the employer qualifies for the maximum 35%, then the savings for claiming the credit would equal $1,750. So that, that's pretty generous. The government obviously is trying to encourage uh, small businesses to cover their employees. But um, uh, if you're under 25 employees, you're exempt from most of the rules of, of uh, what we call Obamacare. Um, what... what why do you think um, a, a small business uh, should take on the, the uh, burden of uh, health care costs, uh, particularly in a startup stage? That's a good question. Um, this is maybe an incentive. If they weren't going to be doing it before, maybe this is an incentive to uh, help out their workers. Also, beginning in 2014, there's going to be an individual mandate. So even though there's no repercussions to the small business owner, uh, since the employees may be um, come under this new mandate and they're forced to get uh, insurance, uh, the, the small business owner might be more inclined to help them out since they know that the employees have to be covered. Well, I know this is kind of uh, off the topic for a, a moment, but it, it's a, a subject that comes up constantly in, in our uh, communications. Um, for the under 50 employee, which is, I know, uh, a strong point for Intuit, many of the rules aren't there, but uh, but the individual mandate makes it uh, uh, incumbent upon smaller businesses to offer health care plans. Uh, do you have any thoughts uh, on how, how a small business goes about uh, analyzing and making a decision on offering or not offering health care uh, as we approach 2014? Yeah, that's a good question, and we're into it uh, wide. We're looking at this. I'm not sure um, how they're going to react to it. In fact, a lot of small businesses, employees, and even uh, the tax community are not up to speed on, on these rules. So we'll have to see how it plays out. Uh, these new exchanges come online in October, and then the mandate kicks in in uh, January. So I'm not sure how many people are looking forward. Um, this this um, small business uh, health insurance credit is one way to go about it. Other small businesses may decide to, um, through maybe a health savings account or an HRA, they might decide to... Um, contribute a little bit to the employee so the and then the employee would take the money and uh, go ahead and get insurance through their own plan so that's another option versus a lot having the small business owner 
provide full-on uh, health insurance coverage through a group plan, they might contribute some money to the employee, and then the employee goes out and does it on his own. But how does, uh, uh, how does the uh, company uh, treat that money that it contributes? Is it an expense, or um, uh, how, how, how do you treat that money that you uh, give to the employee? I believe it's treated as a, um, a deduction because he's, he's contributing money towards the health insurance of the employee. And the good thing, the, the upside for the employee is that he can do it through pre-tax dollars. So if they set up through a cafeteria plan, one of these HRAs, and there's some special rules surrounding uh, what qualifies, but they can actually uh, save money through um, pre-tax contributions to the plan. Okay, um, I keep uh, bringing you astray, but I, uh, it's fascinating. Can we go on and, and go through the other points? That you... Yes, next, next on the list we have the credit for research and development expenses. To qualify for this credit, and it, it is a popular one, it was going to be um, expiring at the end of last year and the government decided to extend it since it is popular. To qualify for this credit, the business must incur expenses for the purposes of discovering information that is technological in nature and for the development of a new or improved business component. And I have a quick example here. Let's say a bakery invests money in developing machinery that automates the icing of the pastry. That could qualify, depending on uh, the various uh, tests that are involved. Uh, ordinary testing and inspection of this new device, consumer management and efficiency studies and promotions do not count as research, but actually developing the technology uh, would qualify. Uh, I love that example. But... Uh, um uh, in this era where we have high unemployment, uh, there's actually a, a tax deduction for an automa automation. That's, That's correct. It's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it's fascinating. Uh, they're talking about uh, streamlining the tax code, but I think it's so com complex, I don't think we'll ever be able to quite reach that point. But anyway, go on to your other, uh, your next point. Uh, I'm sure our listeners, I'm, I'm finding it fascinating. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. The next, next on the list is the work opportunity credit. This was another one that got extended by the government uh, at the end of last year. This credit is available to businesses that pay first and second year wages to certain targeted employees, such as veterans, long-term family assistance recipients, and summer youth. The credit is figured as a as a percentage of the employee's wages, and it can range from $2,400 all the way up to $9,600 per employee, and it depends on the type of targeted employee. Uh, there are some special rules here to qualify. You must first request and be issued a certification for each employee from the State Employment Security Agency, CESA, to prove that the employee is a member of the targeted group. Uh, we're we're going to take Mike. You have one more, I think. Yes, I do. Go ahead, please. Okay. Uh, in general, you cannot deduct personal living or family expenses, obviously. Uh, however, if you have an item that is used both for business and personal purposes, such as a vehicle, the government allows you to allocate the expense and deduct the business portion. Now, with the vehicle, unfortunately, you cannot deduct uh, commuting miles to and from work. 
Uh, Mike, we're going to take a, a break here, but I hope you'd stay on with us uh, to talk with our next guest. If you uh, would, would you mind staying on? Absolutely, love to. Okay. Many small businesses purchase supplies, equipment, other needs through local stores. To save money on many of these purchases, consider Deem.com. This purchasing site offers real bargains and large discounts on many key items needed to run your business, and it's free to join and use. That's D-E-E-M.com. Again, D-E-E-M.com for all your small business needs. We're, we're back live here. Uh, our next guest is Keith Hall, National Tax Advisor for the, for the National Association for the Self-Employed. Keith, are you with us? I am here. Ah, welcome aboard. Um, Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, uh, you're on with Mike Deluvio, who's tax director for Intuit. Uh, Hey, Mike, how are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, uh, Keith, first, uh, for our audience, a lot of people know us. But um, uh, know about you, but tell us a little bit about the National Association for the Self-Employed. Oh, absolutely. The National Association for the Self-Employed was organized in 1981. Uh, we specialize in representing the smallest of small business owners. Most of our members, a little over 200,000 members across the country, are, are, have less than five employees. Many of them are just mom and pop ups. We provide a, a list of benefits, uh, access to consultants and attorneys uh, in a question-and-answer format via our website, which is nase.org. Uh, we do lots of advocacy work in Washington, D.C., and at the state level on behalf of small business owners. Uh, and, again, our main goal is just to help that smallest business owner answer one more question, create one more job, and just be a little bit more successful in kind of controlling their Don't you also offer a health care plan? Well, we don't have a health care plan. What we try to do is negotiate with various insurance companies to kind of maintain control over their overhead, over uh, distribution costs, to kind of give our members an insight into some of the things that other insurance companies offer. We, We try to stay away from... Um, having a specific health plan or recommending a specific health insurance company because we want to maintain our independence in supporting the needs of small business. We kind of try to use the influence of all members that we represent to kind of keep the pressure on those insurance companies to give us a fair deal. Uh, it's kind of hard for lots of small businesses, as you guys know, to kind of carry that negotiation uh, the weight that bigger businesses have. What we try to do is pull all of that uh, power, if you will, to give our members a little bit more clout in negotiating their own deals with various insurance companies. Okay. You know what I realize? I'm sitting here uh, talking with Intuit, which is uh, synonymous with small business, and, and your organization, which uh, is one of the – how many members do you have? We have a little over 200,000 members. Right. Um, uh, uh, I just uh, I like the job that you're doing. But uh, now, uh, Mike, tell us about. Uh, I'm sorry, Keith. Tell us about the the tax tips that you uh, you you spoke about in your article and offer uh, 
And uh, Mike, uh, feel free to jump in at any time. Um, sure. Uh, you know, one of the things that we, we talk about every day for to as many people as listen to us, we try to let the small business owner recognize and believe that they have resources. You know, as a small business owner, it is so easy to feel like you're out there all alone. You know, it's late Saturday night. You finally got the kids off to bed. You still got a thousand things to do in your small business, and it's so easy to feel like you don't have the resources. But with people like Mike, with organizations like Intuitive, organizations like the National Association for the Self-Employed, if you've got an Internet connection, you have resources. That's the number one thing we want to communicate to all small business owners is that you have resources, people that are interested in helping you be more successful. And I think it's so easy to forget that, but it may be the most important point to continue success is to know that you're not out there all alone. Okay. So what about the tax tips for, uh, uh, for, t- for this year and for next year? Okay, well, a couple of things to keep in mind. The IRS always changes stuff. I think Mike had kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier. The IRS always adjusts some things. Uh, last year, they, they adjusted the standard mileage rate for the business use of your automobile. Uh, two points there. Number one, the new rate for 2012 was 55.5 cents per mile, so make sure you uh, record that. But maybe more important than that, uh, almost all small business owners indeed use their personal vehicle for business, and many forget that they have a deduction for that. So make sure you keep track of that mileage that you use for business. Keep a file notebook in your car right on the passenger seat or use your iPhone or a PDA to keep track of those miles. And when it's time to fill out those tax forms, you're actually going to pay less money than if you've got to keep that mileage book. So that's a very, very important tip. Uh, also, uh, most business owners probably have heard in the debate over the fiscal cliff, like arm wrestling before, but that 2% uh, decrease in payroll taxes that we had the benefit of over the last couple of years, uh, they uh, got rid of that. In fact, all of us have that extra 2% we're going to have to pay in 2013. But many small business owners don't recognize how that affects them because they don't get a paycheck. They don't have a payroll or a company uh, that withholds extra money from their paycheck each week. So you have to remember to adjust your quarterly estimated tax payments to take that extra 2% into effect for the coming year. Because if you don't, when you do that tax calculation at the end of the year, you might, may find that you're going to be short of the money that you should have paid in. So make sure you keep in mind that you've got to take that extra 2% into account. You know, uh, I want to just interrupt you for a moment. That is such a critical point. I hadn't realized that. Um, uh, my accountant uh, just mentioned that um, uh, before I went on vacation that uh, a lot of his uh, uh, clients had not made the adjustment. Uh, very interesting point. Please continue, Keith. Well, it is. The interesting thing about that 2%, you know, when you actually sit down and kind of crunch the numbers, of course, if you torture the numbers long enough, they'll tell you what you want to hear, right? But when you think about 2%, that's roughly one week of pay for a normal small business owner or even an employee out there. So that just that single adjustment in that payroll tax calculation really translates into one week of vacation in the summer. We actually all lost a week of vacation 
just because of that payroll deduction. Uh, which, again, I guess we, we still got to make some of those tough decisions as we face budget issues, some concerns, um, you know, new costs because of health care. We've been talking about that for a while. I know we all want to pay our fair share, but make sure you do in advance. Make sure you recognize that change is coming. Uh, because it's way better to be prepared for that additional tax than certainly not prepared. Uh, we also go through lots of discussions with small businesses all across the country, and one of the things that I find, um, not disturbing, I guess, but a little bit uh, heartbreaking, if you will, uh, so many small business owners only think about their tax return when it's time to send the forms in, when they sit down with uh, TurboTax and do their calculations. And, and most tax planning ideas really end with the New Year's Eve party. I mean, when the year is over, lots of things that you may have been able to do before the end of the year, you don't have options for them. So we always talk about, you know, think about taxes more than just on April 15th. Do some creative tax planning, some proactive tax planning. Uh, that's the best way to actually save more money. For example, one of the things that many small business owners don't recognize as an opportunity for them is actually creating a job within their business for their child. Uh, they may have a 15-year-old, 15-year-old at home. Um, maybe they're driving a car. Uh, you know, ask yourself if you're a small business owner, how much money do you give your child uh, for their activity, not just allowances, but what about that college fund that you're trying to set money aside for your child? Rather than just give them the money, create a job. Find something for them to do in your business. There's so many things that you need accomplished that your children certainly can help you with. Uh, you know, don't just uh, cut the corners. Actually create a real job. Do time cards, a job description. Do the payroll tax calculations. Uh, you can actually pay your child up to $6,000 per year, and the child doesn't even have to file a tax return. Yet those amounts can be deductible on your business tax return, which could save you several thousand dollars in taxes just by creating that job. So think about some of those creative ways in advance of the end of the year before you lose all that potential planning time. Uh, and then that's the real way to end up saving real tax dollars. You do fill out those turbo taxes. Keith, uh, that's a terrific one. Mike, uh, I'd like to go back, though. Um, uh, Keith, you've given us two big ones, so I, I'd like to uh, uh, Mike, would you want to comment on what Keith said about the two percent? Uh, in your research or with, into it, have you found that to be the case? Uh, yeah, that, uh, that Keith brings up a, a really good uh, practical uh, application for that tax law change for the uh, the small business uh, person because yeah, with with the uh, the employee. The payroll tax hike would have kicked in on January 1st, but with the the way it works with the the small business uh, person, it's going to affect his um, his SE or self-employment tax, and that's going to be realized uh, through the S the increased estimated taxes. So unless he's on the ball and and does that planning, he would get hit with a, a big bill at the end of the year and, and possibly some uh, penalties as well. Well. Uh, uh... Has uh, Intuit done any re uh, research that indicate that that people are are doing or not doing this? Um, I know you do a lot of research. That's why I asked the question. 
Yeah, I, I personally have not seen any data on that. Well, okay. Well, let's now jump ahead uh, to Keith's other point, which I found fascinating. Uh, you say that you can pay $6,000 to your child each year, if I heard you right, um, uh, to, towards their college fund uh, and not well, pay taxes. Well, again, uh, keep in mind what we're talking about here is, is not just giving money to a child and, and not pay taxes on it. What we're talking about here is creating a job. You know, whether you're lean to the left, lean to the right, whether you're right down the middle, everyone we listen to in Washington, D.C. talks about job creation, about having the impact on the economy by putting people to work. So what we're talking about here is creating a job in your small business, a real job, inbound mail, outbound mail, handling your Facebook page, your social media for your company. There's so many things that your kids can do. And then from a practical standpoint, once you've created that job, let's think about the impact of the child itself. child can earn $6,000 uh, in wages, whether they're working for you or working for anyone else, but they can earn 6000 in wages, and they're not even required to file a tax return because they're below the threshold for the gross income test for requirement filing tax return. When a child works for their parent in sole proprietorship, self-employed business owners, those wages are not subject to FICA, they're not subject to Medicare, not subject to FUTA or state unemployment tax. There are no tax liabilities at all for the wages paid to that child. On the company side, the company is filing a payroll tax return. They're doing a W-2 at the end of the year, just like they would for any unrelated employee that they hired in their business. They get a full tax deduction on their Schedule C for the $6,000 in wages. Now they've just reduced their taxable income by $6,000. This is a tremendous benefit for that small business owner who has a child that can provide services to their company in the form of an employer-employee relationship. Very, very creative in my opinion. Uh, lots of intangible benefits too. Think about the teaching your child some responsibility, some uh, understanding of what you do in your business, the difference you make for your employees. Uh, who knows, they may change what they want to do in the future when they get out of college based on the information they learn by working for your business. Very, very creative, very, very useful, and also a great way to save a couple of thousand dollars in taxes. I had no idea you could do that. Uh, Mike, were you aware of that? You know, I, I, I have read that before. I hadn't uh, listened to the specifics, but... Um, yeah, it looks like a great um, uh, planning opportunity, especially with uh, the rising cost of uh, college education. But the the other well, thing, I found, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, the the other great thing again, don't uh, you know, make sure you don't cut the corners on this. Do the paperwork. Um, don't just say you created a job and then put a deduction on line 26 of your Schedule C for wages. Actually, create the job. Do the paperwork. Again, you're going to get all of those benefits those intangible, altruistic benefits of creating responsibility uh, and a sense of worth and all those good things. But once you've created that job, you're going to find when you sit down to do all those tax forms, you're going to keep $2,000 more of your money. Now, don't forget, you're also still a parent. You still have the responsibilities as a parent. So now your child has this money that they've earned. You're going to help them decide what to do with that money. It's a great idea. 
to take that money and put it in a savings account for college. That is an unbelievable way to put away money for college and, in effect, get the IRS to subsidize that through lower taxes on your personal tax return. Just a very, very good idea. Well, the other side of it is I know many uh, older uh, business owners who turn to their uh, children and grandchildren to teach them social media and all this other uh, stuff uh, informally. Um, uh, we've had several programs on it um, uh, at, at our website, Stories, etc., about the fact that uh, many of us, and I, I admit myself is in that group, just don't understand a lot of this, but our younger generation does. Um, well, they, they certainly do, and, and you know, they not only have fun doing it, they have this intuitive understanding of the connection that you have via the social media, uh, how they can reach out, how they can expand those details, and putting them in a position of doing something that they enjoy with their friends playing on Facebook and then showing them or letting them show you how that interest can then translate into expanding the influence of your business just is an unbelievable <laughs> not myth. You know, my children uh, certainly understand that way better than me, and I should know more about it than I do. Uh, but my son, I've got a 16-year-old son that actually does that for my small business as well, and he does a very good job. He has my site linked through LinkedIn. He has it linked through Facebook. Very, very powerful. Wow. What's your next tax tip? Well, the next thing I'd love for small business owners to think about is make sure that if they operate their business out of their home, that they claim the home office deduction. Uh, now, this only applies to those businesses that indeed do work out of their home. Uh, our surveys indicate that there are about 9 million self-employed small business owners who indeed operate out of their home but only about half of those people choose to take that home office deduction. The other half, four and a half million of those, are not taking that deduction. That's just leaving money on the table. Now, what we find is a lot of people are afraid of that deduction. It's relatively complicated. Uh, there's one form that you use. It's called Form 8829. Uh, on that one-page form, if you can believe this, the words see instructions appear 17 times on that one-page form. So it's a little bit daunting, a little bit complicated. There's also this fear out there amongst the small business community that filing or claiming for a home office deduction isn't a red flag. It, it makes your tax return more susceptible to audit. And so they choose not to take that deduction for the complexity of the form or this fear of an IRS audit. I encourage you, if you're a small business owner, use that back bedroom, you know, that third bedroom for your office. Make sure you claim that deduction. It can mean as much as $750 to $1,000 in lower tax savings just because you do that little extra effort to complete those forms. Uh, and I personally, just, I, I don't like this concept of an IRS red flag. Now, certainly the more complexities on your tax return, the more numbers you have on the tax return, the higher the chances of your return being selected uh, just because the IRS does this giant statistical analysis of you know where we normally make mistakes, uh, over the years where they have found mistakes that generated additional tax revenue for the Treasury. 
So the more complex your return is, your chances do go up. But I hate the concept of foregoing a deduction uh, simply to reduce the percentage chances by a minuscule amount. It's like writing the IRS a check for $1,000 so that your chances of being audited go from 1.4% to 1.3%. It's a minuscule change. So certainly take advantage of all the deductions that you're eligible for. And then the last thing I want to talk about this, this is interesting, the Treasury Department came out in January of this year with a new option for the home office deduction, which is a standard amount. You can choose up to $5 per square foot, up to 300 square feet, without doing that complicated form 8829. So major, major benefit towards simplification of that concept so that more people should be aware of that option don't have to go through the complexities of the review, even if your returns were selected for audit, uh, very easy to support at that point. So certainly, if you operate out of your home, make sure you take advantage of that home office deduction. Um, Keith, let me interrupt. Mike, uh, if, if an audience wanted to reach – well, first off, Mike, do you have any comment on that um, home office deduction? No, I agree 100%. It is underutilized. People tend to run away from it because they think their chances of audit goes up. So I think um, really helpful hint, and I think I agree that the, the simplification of the um, calculation in 2013 is going to help out quite a bit. Well, that that uh, note alone. Mike, if, if people in the audience wanted to reach you or to find out more about what, what Intuit offers, how can they do that? Um, well, our Intuit website is really helpful, um, www.intuit.com. Um, we have a lot of good uh, resources out there. You just have to go through the, the various um, menus. Me personally, uh, my email address is Mike underscore Devolio at Intuit.com. Okay. And Keith, uh, how can they reach you? Uh, you know, the same way, I, I started off when we first uh, got together a few minutes ago that we want so badly for the small businesses owners out there to know they have resources. You know, MyTheIntuit.com is a great website. Our website is NASD.org. Uh, we've got lots of resources, lots of information, lots of ways to ask specific questions. You can actually reach me right through the website at NASD.org. I'm just listed as one of the consultant experts available through the NASD website. Uh, my private email address is keith.hall at nasd.org. Um, again, encourage small business owners to make sure you remember. If you forget everything else Mike and I have talked about over the last hour or so, if you forget everything else, remember that one thing, that you're not alone. You have resources. Um do you have any uh, – either of you have final thoughts? Uh, we're coming to the end of our segment, and we've given us so much information. Uh, Mike, do you want to start off? Yeah, my final thoughts, it's a lot to digest, and the, the small business owners are um, busy carrying on the business operation. So if they have an inclination uh, or an interest in this material, then they can do it on their own. But I would say since there's so many uh, helpful – uh, things that we talked about and, and many other things. Uh, 
I would seek out uh, expert tax advice to get help, and they can certainly cover the cost of those um, professional expenses uh, with all these uh, different t- uh, tax tips that the or tax perks that the the government offers. And Keith, do you want any final thoughts? I totally agree with Mike. You know, there, there's so much out there, so much detail. There's always more complexities year after year. Uh, I would encourage, just like Mike said, stay connected. Uh, the IRS tells us about 57% of the people use a, pre, a paid tax preparer, so about half do, about half don't. Uh, when you have something complicated, uh, maybe you think you're missing out on some deductions. Maybe this is the first year you filed a tax return as a small business owner. Those are great years uh, to consider finding a tax professional. But even if you choose to do that process on your own, make sure you remember you have all these resources that we've talked about, our website at NASE.org and Tuit's website at Intuit.com, even the IRS website at irs.gov. Bookmark all those websites, and then when you have a question, you'll have places to go to find answers. I know both of you have given us a tremendous information. I thank you for taking the time to meet with us. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll be back in a moment with Vincent Smith, uh, with a very informative small business leader. Want to know more about health savings accounts for your company or yourself? Go to 2hsa.com and get a free employer's primer. Health savings accounts are a cost-effective way of offering health care benefits to your employees and yourself. HSAs build retirement funds for your employees, improve morale, and reduce your health care benefit costs. For a free employer guide to HSAs, go to 2hsa.com. That's 2hsa.com. We're back live here. And Vincent Smith is uh, is joining us. He's a pharmacist by training and a T-shirt entrepreneur by avocation, or probably vocation. Are you with us, Vince? Yes, yes. thanks for having me. Uh, is that an accurate description? That's very yeah, accurate. <laughs> well, first, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, basically, uh, you're correct. I am a pharmacist. I practiced in, in Miami, Florida, originally from Houston, Texas. And about six months ago, I decided to start looking into developing a T-shirt line. But I wanted to have it with a social aspect to it. So that's how I came up with Good DTs. Well, uh, what made you particularly want to go into uh, T-shirts? Well, it's not so much as a T-shirt, but the graphic message that it portrays. What we do, we partner with charities and then we create a graphic message for the T-shirts or tote bags. For instance, Keep Moving, which is a campaign we're doing to fight childhood obesity. And what we do is we print that on the T-shirts. And so the public can purchase the T-shirts, and a portion of that, $6 from each sale, will go toward that charity. Well, that's that's clever. What made you come up? You know, I I come across uh, T-shirt companies a lot. They come across my desk. But what struck me was what a clever idea this was. And uh, how did you come up with it? Um, Well, basically, I would love to say I'm a pioneer of the first, but that's not the case. They have other companies out there that do a number of products for a particular charity. Um, What I wanted to do was start with T-shirts. 
but eventually get into other forms of fashion for men and women. So a T-shirt is our jumping-off point. And I thought having some type of graphic message for that that the public can relate to or even uh, connect with, I thought that was a huge benefit. Uh, and you say uh, you're in business for a relatively short time. Uh, uh, well, I'll ask the question. How's it going? Um, so far, so good. We've been in business about a month, I guess a month, month and a half. And um, we're just getting out there with the marketing, and it's been received very well. The Alliance for a Healthier Generation is a charity we've um, partnered with, and they've recently have several events at schools throughout the country, and they've had our shirts as part of that event. So it's being recognized, it's being picked up, and it is connecting with the audience that we're looking to connect with. So it's it's still in its infancy, but it is doing well. But how did you manage to identify the uh, uh, organization and, and convince them to, to use you? <laughs> well, first, what I, I did, I looked at the type of charity that I wanted to really uh, benefit from our from our resources. And childhood obesity is a big epidemic and it's a big problem. So then I started looking at several charities out there that are actually doing, you know, things in that arena. And the Alliance, which was uh, founded by the William J. Clinton Foundation, was doing a lot for childhood obesity, not only through education for the kids, um, teaching them how to make healthier choices in foods and their meals throughout the day and the importance of physical activity. And through that, they're really making a difference. And so I contacted them and explained to them what I was doing with my company, getting started, and they liked the idea, they liked the concept, and so we formed an alliance where we were able to work together. Well, uh, you, you're certainly modest about it, but I, I know of other people that have tried, and yet, yet you, you, you've hit uh, almost a home run in the first try. Uh, uh, tell it, us well, a little it took, more. I it, mean, it took it took a lot of effort. Um, first, formalizing you know the company plan, how we're going to structure the company, you know, with the charities and what have you, and we don't limit it just to one charity. What we're doing. Um, the Alliance for Healthier Generation is one particular charity, but we also will be working with One in a Million, which represents breast, can breast cancer research. And there will be several other charities. So it's an ongoing kind of dynamic type setting where we'll be adding additional charities to it and then working closely with each one to get a message out where people can relate to it and they'd want to support it. Because the biggest thing you want the support, and I think people really like to purchase items where there is a charity or there's a component there where they can actually give back a little bit with each sale. Whether it's a T-shirt, tote bag, or if it's you know other items, it could be shoes, it could be you know shirts, dresses, and what have you. And ultimately, that's what we're looking to expand the site into, where it's a complete e-commerce site, where it's a one-stop shop where you can purchase a number of items that you normally may purchase at other retailers, but you can come here and purchase something and you can have part of the donation going to a particular charity that you choose because you'll choose the charity at checkout which one you would like your funds to go to after that purchase. Well, that sounds exciting. It sounds as if you you kind of have a master plan. You keep saying we. Are there other people involved? 
Yes, I have a partner um, I work with. Her name is Heather Sante, and she helps with the charities, connecting with them as well. When we identify them, she's a point person that will contact them as well. I started it, the company, and brought her on to assist, and she loves the idea and really wanted to get more involved. So I have her intimately involved with the business as well. Um, so if if I've heard you correctly, your plan is to uh, start with teas, move forward with other products, and make it a complete one-stop charities uh, type or uh, a website that people can choose the products that they do every day. Did I hear pretty, you? Well? Yes, that's pretty much um, along that line. We'll we'll have a number of different products from shoes, shirts. Um, accessories, and also we're going to brand some products. We're going to get into skincare. We're going to get into, um, um, you know, other types of products that we can sell as well to retailers themselves. And donations will be coming in from those sales going directly into, um, you know, the charities as well. So, yes, we're going to be expanding, and this is just the beginning, and we'll be getting into other products as well. Well, let me ask you, um, uh, do you still have your full t- full-time job as a pharmacist? It's a part-time job now. <laughs> yeah, it's changing slowly, but from part-time now and soon, hopefully it will be full-time job with good DTs. Uh, when do you think that will occur? I'm anticipating within six months. Okay. It's not a major rush on you know my part. I want to make sure the company is solid, and we're going forward with all the plans that we you know we have, and and then I'll transition you know into that. But it's a, it's a joy to be able to wear both hats and do both. Well, I hope to have you back on the program when you make that final jump. Awesome! I'd love to be back. All right. Good luck to you. Thank you so much for having me. Now we'll have a final word after after this message from our sponsor. Many small businesses purchase supplies, equipment, other needs through local stores. To save money on many of these purchases, consider Deem.com. This purchasing site offers real bargains and large discounts on many key items needed to run your business and it's free to join and use. That's D-E-E-M dot com. Again, D-E-E-M dot com for all your small business needs. Each hour, we would like to close with a timely hint from uh, our panel of experts. But today, I would like to end with a warning and a challenge. In a briefing two weeks ago, and reinforced by a mention in the Wall Street Journal recently, Small business owners face an ominous future as and face an ominous future. It seems that a big corporations and the other um, ever have a senior moment. I have it. Uh, it seems that in Washington today, a majority of um, of corporations and the, uh, the various uh, uh, advisors are trying to figure out how to raise additional money. Uh, usually, additional money usually comes in form of taxes. Uh, one way, and this is what the briefing was about, is uh, subchapter S corporations. 
Right now, a majority of small businesses are formed as subchapter S's. The benefit uh, to this form of incorporation is profits and losses flow directly to owners without a double tax. The word I heard most discouragingly in Washington is that this tax avoidance method may be under attack. What it'll mean is that small business owners may face a double tax in some form if what the uh, uh, bureaucrats and the politicians work out in Washington is some form of additional tax on subchapter S corporations. My journal, uh, my feeling about this is to, to raise it now and to raise it continually until someone tells me that it, this is not going to happen. But it is a warning that I have for you. And it's a warning that I uh, will continue to talk about in the in these uh, uh, programs. On one other note, my journalism training has always been to present the facts and let the reader decide. And while I'm always reluctant to take public stances, a piece in this week's The Nation magazine got me hot under the collar. The piece is entitled, Meet the New Left, Small Business Owners. The article starts off with a quote, and I quote the following, a promising new force is finding its voice in progressive politics, though it is still widely ignored or misunderstood. These overlooked progressives are small business owners and entrepreneurs who are not usually confused with left-wing activists. Um, it goes, the piece goes on to discuss about this. It's written by William Greider, who I believe uh, uh, has been a journalist for over 30 years. Um, he goes on to say that the American Sustainable Business Council, along with several other like-minded groups, are determined to counter the corporate finance propaganda by enabling small business owners to speak for themselves. Well, I think small business owners have been speaking for themselves and unfortunately haven't been heard. Um, I've invited Mr. Greider uh, via email to come onto this program to discuss the subject because essentially small business owners are conservative by nature and re reluctant to make great changes. Uh, I, certainly, uh, they are reluctant to talk about the uh, progressive movement and the various echo challenges facing them. For that reason, I think the Nation article is spurious. I, ho I hope Mr. Greider will accept my uh, invitation. We will talk about it. I see the hour is up. <coughs> Remember, this program will be archived and available on www.blogtalkradio.com/smallbusinessdigest.